knew that running a club on vibes and nostalgia wouldn't be a success? Who knew that ditching an elite Champions League winning coach and replacing him with a long-term project manager, who you then only gave a few months to, would end in tears? Who on earth could have predicted that signing a ton of young players without selling the players they were supposed to replace would cause a dip in morale and a loss of direction? Uh-oh, it turns out everybody knew and could have predicted that really easily. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. My top tipping team starts with Mark O'Hare. Mark, super Frank Lampard's back. Yay! He's had three games and he's lost them all. And the performance in the 2-0 defeat at Real Madrid was dismal beyond belief. Uh, how can they possibly turn the tie around? Uh, I don't think they can. Um, <laughs> yeah. There we go. It's the end of the show. Okay. <laughs> um, look, I know results were never consistently good or going in the right direction under Graham Potter, but I thought there were a few signs towards the end of his reign that there were incremental kind of improvements in both boxes. Um, it's hard to make the case after, it might only be three games, it might be hard to make the case to say Chelsea are looking like they're going in the right direction under Lampard. If anything, they look like they may have regressed and fallen back into old habits, um, which is strange because we're told that Frank knows the stadium, knows the training ground, and yeah. knows all the staff, so everything Absolutely. would be hunky-dory. Um, Should have been being, fine. <laughs> yeah, we're obviously being a bit facetious there, but there's been no new manager bounce whatsoever. If anything, at best, it's remained the same. But the new manager splats, I would say. It's gotten say. worse, I would say. And yeah. look, they were very timid and very poor for the majority of that match in Madrid. Um, but you could say if Xiao Felix puts that opportunity away inside the first 10 minutes, it could have been a very different match. We don't know. But for 80 minutes afterwards, the scoreline didn't really do justice to how, you know, poles apart the two teams really were and how Real Madrid didn't even need to get out of second gear to, to win that match comfortably. And of course, you could say the red card tips things in their balance as well. But that was after an hour. It was only 30 minutes of playing against 10 men. And it was you know, quite clear beforehand Real Madrid were the elite team and, and Chelsea was struggling to sort of any, get anywhere close to them. So uh, how can they get back into this tie? Well, they do have players of ability, Chelsea. They're not fools. They're not idiots. They've got players who can do damage against any opposition side. But as you said at the intro, they're, they're a team and a club lacking direction, lacking leadership and, and lacking a, a collective plan, which is the total opposite um, of where Real Madrid are at. And... Um, and yeah, three defeats from three. Under Lampard, uh, they've looked disorganised. They've looked poor in midfield. They've made some sloppy errors. They've been quite impotent in possession. They've missed a, a couple of big opportunities. And on most occasions, it's been a mix of all of those. And uh, we th I think we saw that against Real Madrid. We saw that particularly against Brighton on Saturday as well, who really sort of exposed their flaws again. Um, and just a clear a lack of plan, as I say, because they've used three different formations. And between league games... He's changed his centre-half, his two full-backs, his midfield shape, uh, two forwards on either side and the centre-forward. So, you know, what kind of consistency or stability are you going to get when you continue to do that? Um, you're not going to get anything, really. So, ordinarily, I would say, you know, a team that's leading 2-0 after the first leg, especially playing the second leg away from home, I would be kind of quite, clear to, quite keen to steer clear of them. But I think 1.84 on Real Madrid plus zero, which is the same as, as the draw no bet, really, is it's kind of obvious and kind of straightforward as a play here um you know 
is kind of a pragmatic approach because of the fact they don't need to win this game. But La Liga is gone. The major focus of Real Madrid right now is another European title. They have been resting and rotating domestically with this competition in mind. We have seen uh, them really sort of come to the party in the big matches that matter in recent weeks. Uh, the destruction of Barcelona in the Copa del Rey was was really quite impressive. So efficient, so effective. And, you know, in theory, this this tie, this, this um, match should in theory sort of play into the their hands really with Chelsea having to go for the game a little bit and um, yeah ultimately for me it just comes down to trust you know, who do you trust in the dugout Frank Lampard or, or Don Carlo and you know, there really only is one answer to that and uh, you know if you want to be simple about it Chelsea are six without a win they've won five games in 24 they've only scored two goals or more in four of those 24 games and their only home wins since October have been against Dynamo Zagreb Leeds Crystal Palace Bournemouth and Dortmund. Okay, Dortmund, they play pretty well, but they failed to even score in six of the last 14 at home. So, yeah, I think there's a, you know, Brighton went off favourites at Stamford Bridge at the weekend. Uh, I think there's a, an argument to be said that despite not needing to win this game, Real Madrid could even be shorter than the current price. And if Chelsea weren't called Chelsea and were just Team A here against Team B, I, I suspect they would be bigger than 2-1 to one to win the game. Master of the Sustainable Edge, odds compiler and tipster Mark Stinchcombe is with us. Stinch, you look at what Brighton did to Chelsea at the weekend and it just underlines the difference in approach, doesn't it? Brighton have got their act together. They lost their coach to Chelsea, knew exactly who they wanted to bring in. And on Saturday, they just chopped Chelsea up into little chunks and left them scattered all over the pitch. It was really quite brutal. Yeah, from a from a betting perspective, what I think is quite damning is that even though Chelsea went one 0 up, they were still four to five to win. Now, two, three, four years ago, they would have been shorter than four to five to win at nil nil. So to be still be four to five at one 0 up just just shows you how much of a, a work is required there. Yeah, um, obviously don't want to side with with Chelsea in in any particular way, shape, or form. Um, don't want to be too blasé, but in my mind, their season is over. They're nine to one to qualify here. It's not something I want to back. Um, you know, they can they can barely score one goal, let alone two, just to get the tie level. Um, I I mean I, I agree kind of with with Mark's um, opinion that obviously you'd, you'd rather side with Madrid. But uh, rather boring for me. I, I don't like to get involved in, in matches where you've got more than one goal difference in the tie because there's just too many different scenarios. The the way the the game can play out, you know, if, if Chelsea do take an early lead, that do then Madrid just hold what they've got, or do Madrid come back fighting and go right? We want to get our two goal two goal cushion back. Or, um, you know, to Chelsea manage to build on that and get to a 2-0 lead by a half-time. I mean, I know it's a different um, different manager and a few different players, but they, they were able to do- dig deep, weren't they, in the in the reverse uh, tie last year to take it to, take it to, to extra time. Um, but yeah, Madrid score within the first 10 minutes, then it's, then it's tie over. Uh, Madrid maybe rest, rotate, conserve energy, etc. And, you know, maybe Chelsea go a little bit gung-ho and, and can bring a goal back to get some pride back. Yeah, it's just there's just too many variables involved. So um, I think we, we mentioned um, off-air that uh, there's a lot of ties that are not done and dusted, but maybe close to that. Um, so maybe there's some better opportunities elsewhere this week, which obviously we'll come on to. Trader and tipster Emmett O'Keefe, our final signing for today. Emmett, Real Madrid have perhaps looked more dangerous in this competition than they have in La Liga. They were really good against Liverpool over the two legs uh, in the previous rounds. And 
they have that incredible experience of the competition, not just on, in the dugout, but amongst the squad as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think a couple of interesting things about Real Madrid kind of is that I think Sid Lowe, the, the excellent journalist, said this earlier in the year that Real Madrid are potentially capable of the best 15 minutes of any team in the tournament, that they're kind of like they're they're happy to play in patches i think say compared to like city bayern munich a lot of the kind of top european teams they want to dominate you with the press and kind of control all parts of the game and kind of win that way whereas i think real madrid are happy to accept that they have a kind of a slow kind of aging midfield and they're not going to be able to do that so they're happy to kind of maybe be dominated and be kind of and, and sit back for parts of the game and then kind of and then maybe but then maybe trying to press for kind of 10 15 minute spells when they've scored a goal or they kind of sense blood you would have seen that when they kind of knocked out psg in the champions league last season where for long stretches that game even that second leg psg were well on top but when madrid got back into it after the donnarumma mistake madrid really went off the throat and kind of pressed high and kind of forced mistakes so i think Real Madrid's kind of lack of identity and kind of the kind of Ancelotti willing to change their approach, depending on the opposition, I think is is definitely one of their greatest strengths. And yeah, I, I think if you were going to expose them, it would be with a kind of an athletic team that would kind of press them off the pitch, which which Chelsea did last season under Thomas Tuchel. Um, like they, 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 in, like Chelsea were really brilliant in, in that second leg of the Bernabeu, and it was only kind of some some kind of magic from the likes of Modric and Benzema that kind of that kind of turned that tie in, in kind of Real's favour. There's many reasons why we're, not, we're probably unlikely to see a kind of a Chelsea performance of that quality, even take out the kind of managerial changes, which everyone kind of knows about. One thing that was noticeable is how much of a chasing Reese James got off Felicius in the first leg. And just from listening to some of the local kind of Chelsea journalists, they're saying that James hasn't looked fit since he kind of returned from injury. Like James would actually gave Felicius, I'd say, probably his hardest game he got all, all of last season, maybe in, in, in any competition. At his best, James is one of the most athletic and best defensive fullbacks in, in European football, but he doesn't look on, on that level. Like Wesley Fofana for a guy who I know Felicius Junior can destroy a lot of players, but like given the ninety million they spent on him, you would hope for like for slightly better him look slightly better and slightly more athletic in space than he did against Vinicius. And even if Chelsea do get ahead and they do a good a good periods, I just can't see them keeping out Rodrigo, Vinicius, and Benzema on the counter attack. Like this Chelsea defense is not the kind of solid unit of years past. Koulibaly, Fofana, it's just it's just yeah. Even even if Chelsea have kind of good periods in the, in the game it's just hard to see them sustaining it and i think this 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 this, this kind of real madrid counter-attack is, is probably the uh, as dangerous as, as any team possesses left the tournament yeah and brighton absolutely dominated them in midfield could have scored more in that game so if they can do it you'd think the real madrid's forward line can do it too we're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at betfair you now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the sportsbook and exchange you can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in this is a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com the other champions league quarterfinal on tuesday brings together two Italian clubs, Napoli and Milan. Emmett, Milan have a 1-0 lead from the first leg. They recently won 4-0 in Naples in the league. But how significant is the return to the Napoli attack of Victor Ossiman after injury? 
absolutely massive. I think the <clears throat> we'll start with the negative spent Napoli first in that <clears throat> they, they they've clearly had a kind of a significant dip in dip in form since Osman's been out. They were battered by AC Milan at home. They lost the expected goals battle when winning away at Lecce or one of the worst teams in Serie A. And they looked quite toothless in attack at the weekend at home to Verona. Um we, we, again with Osman starting Another slight concern I'd have with Napoli, I don't know if the listeners might not be aware of this, is that there's kind of an ongoing feud between the kind of Napoli ultras and the Napoli owner, Aurelio Di Laurentiis, which has kind of escalated recently due to the significant hike in ticket prices for the Tuesday's Champions League second second leg. But I won't go into too much more detail, but the, 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 fall, the fallout from that has basically meant that in Napoli's kind of greatest season since the glory days of Diego Maradona, that the atmosphere in their home match this season has often been very muted. We saw that when the, the, the Napoli Ultras kind of staged a silent protest when Milan beat Napoli a couple of weeks ago. The reason I mention this from a betting point of view is that most studies have found that the kind of most significant factor in home advantage is the pressure that the home fans put on the referee. And kind of the impact that that has on the referees' decisions. So just it may be that Napoli are kind of losing kind of a couple of percentage points there at home, but 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 that's they're they're, they're the slight negatives. I think the kind of the, the my the, the main reason that I'm, I'm kind of pro Napoli here is even without Osman, I think Napoli had had the kind of better of the better of the first leg. They would six shots on targets to to Milan's two. Expected goals was similar. And and with with and just over the season, the big sample size, Napoli have been a significant, significantly better team than AC Milan, and and and, and just given all that, and with Osman back, I thought Napoli would be kind of shorter than the current price of around one eighty of kind of one eighty three. I thought they'd be closer to maybe one seventy three here. So I think Napoli more than fair here to get the win. My my concern about Napoli would be what Milan can potentially do on the counter because you've got Rafael Liao who shredded Napoli in in the league game. Brahim Diaz, I think, has come on leaps and bounds, looks a really dangerous player, especially in these big games, tends to step up, actually. We know what Teo Hernandez can do uh, when he breaks from fullback. And don't and Napoli don't have Zombo and Gisa, don't have Kim either. So there's a couple of quite significant parts of the spine of the team that are missing. Mm, it is a concern. Um, I'm really looking forward to this fixture. Um, I thought the first leg was quite exciting despite ending just 1-0. And I think Napoli had justifiably and sort of legitimate complaints about not getting anything out of that because they could have easily scored twice inside the first 10 minutes. Um, they came yeah. straight out of the traps, went for the kill, didn't get the goal. It became a little bit more balanced thereafter. But as you say, Milan were dangerous on the counter-attack and just two shots on target in 90 minutes, not great. One of those was, was Benesse's excellent finish in that first half. But, you know, they did look dangerous. Um, Napoli will feel the scoreline was harsh, but now with Osman back in the fold in Naples, uh, I know what uh, Emma was talking about in terms of the, the ultras. My understanding was there was a bit of an agreement made at the weekend with De Laurentiis that um, they would be in attendance and things are okay. And whilst they're still simmering, there's been an improvement there. So that at least is a, is a big bonus because Napoli players and fans should be massively fired up for this. Hugely historic occasion. I thought the refereeing actually in the first leg was was dreadful actually. And, and Napoli, as you say, picked up those two really costly suspensions. Some really sort of just pathetic yellow cards chucked around for not really a huge amount really. So I think Napoli will come into it feeling a bit kind of um, 
shortchanged really, not just um, in terms of the result, but how things have went there. So, yeah, I think they're going to leave absolutely everything out here on the pitch. And I think it's got all the makings of being an absolute classic. And I think with Osman leading the line, you fully expect Napoli to score in Naples. Uh, I think they will contribute to what's going to be quite an exciting game. But missing those two is is big. Um, and it does give Milan you know, a better opportunity here to get something uh, in 90 minutes and potentially take it to extra time or even qualify. And I think Milan can contribute themselves. Uh, I'm expecting goals in this game. and I'm surprised that the market is is actually making overs the outside of the two and actually both teams are scorers around even money here. So um, just put it simply, it's the second leg of a, of a Champions League knockout tie. You know, traditionally, these tend to be more open uh, and at some stage, matches tend to get a bit of a, a bit of a free-for-all really as, as desperation creeps in. As you mentioned, Kev, as quality forwards on the Milan side as well as the, the Napoli type team too, key defensive personnel missing, that charged atmosphere as well. Yeah, I'm expecting fireworks, I'm expecting entertainment uh, and goals as well. So I've backed over two and a half goals here at 2.18. Uh, I think it's a really nice price. Um, wouldn't be too surprised if Napoli got two of those three. Um, but, you know, I'm not... I don't have to cheer for either team. I just yeah. need uh, just three goals or more. So uh, the only other one I was going to suggest, and there's no price there, but Emmett and his team have started adding some new specials uh, to Premier League matches and Champions League games too, which is quite interesting. Uh, tagged under the odds on that stat specials. And there's one that's kind of taken my fancy in recent weeks, uh, which I'll be looking for a price on. Uh, each team committing a foul inside the first 10 minutes. Um, prices have tended to range between about... Four to five in evens ordinarily. Uh, I'm not sure if Emma and his and his team of traders are going to go a little bit shorter than that for this game, but I believe it clicked in three of the four first legs um, last week, and I think there could easily be an opportunity for a repeat here. White hot atmosphere. Polish referee Simon Marciniak, who is uh, quite pernickety at the best of times, um, wouldn't be too surprised. Two Italian teams going for each other early doors and. You know, you just require a free kick for either team inside the first 10 minutes and you're getting paid out at nearly even money sometime, on some occasions. So, yeah, that's one to watch out for when, when the prices are out. I always love this dynamic. You've got Mark laying out a bet, hoping for a decent price, and you've got Emmett on the other side of it going, hmm, we need to make that shorter. <laughs> Yes, he's nodding, yes. Uh, more Champions League to come, but let's head forward uh, in time to Thursday first. Sporting have a first leg deficit to overturn against Juventus. Stinch, I thought Juve were a bit fortunate to win that game last week. Allegri will at its best, I would say. Yeah, victory, yeah definitely. Victory, clean sheet. He probably still tells everybody that they uh, survived no, a no away goal, even though away goal rules were scrapped. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah. Yeah, it, a great it was, result. <laughs> there, there wasn't really much between the two teams. Uh, both of them had a couple of big chances, but other than that, it's very tepid. Maybe surprised that Sporting had more possession. Uh, might have been impacted by obviously Juve taking the lead, although they did take the lead quite late. But yeah, I didn't think there was much to choose between them, and um, I still, I still think Juve are the better team. But I just, I can't have sport, Sporting a two point three here. And I just can't have them at that price. And it's it, in my mind, it's fully driven by the fact that they need to win and Juventus don't need to win. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. football doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, you know, Juventus were 1.85 in the first leg. Now, that should based on that, that should, if you swap around the home supremacy, based on that, it would make them around about 2.8 in the second leg. Yet Juve are 3.5. And I think that's my angle of attack, basically, is to, to bat Juve plus a quarter on the uh, exchange around about 1.83. 
So essentially, if you very avoid defeat, uh, half a bet will win. If they actually win the game, the full bet will win. So obviously the only way we'll lose is if Sporting win. But if you look at the odds that Sporting have gone off at, again, sort of similar um, type of teams, a 3.79 at home to Arsenal, 2.57 v Porto, 2.37 v Frankfurt, 2.42 v Marseille, 3.44 v Spurs. It essentially says Juventus are worse than all of those teams based on the, the on the odds and I would uh, I would disagree with that so it, I mean this could be team A v team B and I'd still take this bet um, you know that I'm not reading you know too much into the, the facts and yeah people might say I don't know Juventus are, are, aren't great or aren't in great form and things like that but yeah this is just a pure odds driven bet and something that yeah I would play um, regardless of which of the teams involved I I don't like this uh, motivation um, driving the prices as much as it is. Yeah, and if you look, Sporting got done by Frankfurt at the end of the group stage of the Champions League. That was significant. Couldn't quite get it done there. Obviously, did very well against Arsenal at the Emirates. But I think their better performances have been away from home, actually. A lot of them in Europe. Yes, they beat Spurs. But I think they actually played some better football in the away game at Tottenham, funnily enough, in the Champions League. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Roma against Feyenoord. Roma are 1-0 down. From the first leg, this feels like a Mourinho-led comeback with him barking the whole time in front of the uh, Olympico crowd. Uh, Emmy, I fear a bit for Feyenoord here. Maybe I'm wrong. Definitely no. I'd, 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 uh, I'd, I'd agree with everything you said there. I'm, I'm kind of, I was surprised just Roma were so big for this match. Like if you look at the expected goals numbers over the season in Serie A, Roma are close to Inter in, and not that far off Napoli um, in terms in terms of Serie A. When one of the re- with kind of bad finishing, kind of and chance conversions, probably the, one of the main reasons they're kind of have they're the seventh highest goals in, in, in scores in Serie A. Feyenoord are on the verge of winning the Eredivisie, which is obviously an incredible season for them. But their underlying numbers are not particularly outstanding. And Roma had much the better of the first leg on, on kind of chances created and expected goals. And they were pretty unfortunate to lose 1-0. I think Roma are probably the superior team here by a margin. They come into the, into the tie in decent form in, in Serie A. They've, once, they've won their last three matches, scoring seven goals in the process. Again, I thought Roma would be closer to probably 173 here, and you're getting 188 in the exchange. I think that looks more than fair and maybe brings us closer to a bit of a kind of a Mourinho revenge final against Man United if United can get through. Yeah, it was interesting. Mourinho talked after the. Uh, <laughs> he took the opportunity after the press conference, after the first leg of the final game, just have a go at Feyenoord effectively and have a go at the journalist and kind of rub it in that they beat Feyenoord in the Conference League final last season. So uh, he's on classic form. Uh, let's take you back to the Champions League. Then Manchester City, a 3 0 first leg lead as they visit an out of sorts Bayern. Marcus said at the time, I thought Bayern were completely wrong to change coaches. It's such an important point of the season it does seem as though Thomas Tuchel is struggling to find consistency he was really spiky in his interviews at the weekend and he wasn't the only one Matthias De Ligt didn't seem very happy it's all gone a bit wrong yeah um, I get what you're saying and I, I, I agree I thought it was quite harsh to to remove Nagelsmann, particularly at this stage of the season, but I probably didn't anticipate buying sort of, um, I wouldn't say regressing, but certainly not meeting the same sort of standards thereafter. I, you know, we saw Thomas Tuchel come into a, a really underperforming Chelsea team and overnight change their fortunes, and that has not been the case whatsoever. 
with Bayern Munich. And um, yeah, go back to the first leg, it was a seriously high quality game. You could see those two teams were and why they were uh, the top two in the outright market before the first leg. Um, I thought the end outcome was a little bit harsh on Bayern Munich because for a good hour, they gave City a decent workout and were competitive. And, you know, you look at the first hour, the difference really was was Rodri's wonder strike. And I know Bayern had shown signs of, of nervousness at the back and that eventually proved their downfall because they made that silly error from Upper Meccano or you can blame, blame Jan Sommer as well. But both basically both of them contributed to the downfall, really. And, uh, and City... You know, saw witness and pounced and uh, really made them pay. But uh, I think we've seen enough Champions League football over the last decade to, to know we, we can't really rule any team out regardless of what happened in the first leg. But uh, overturning a 3-0 deficit to Man City looks at, looks at all order, even for Thomas Tuchel and Bayern Munich. But um, yeah, we, we talked about it earlier with, the, with the, what was the game we were talking about, Real Madrid-Chelsea, how you don't really want to back teams who have already got a, a decent lead to win at their current prices. So... I was just looking at the prices. I thought Bayern Munich, despite everything we've just said, plus a quarter at kind of 1.8-ish um, in Munich, um, just feels big, just feels wrong. And I might get this completely wrong. and might look really foolish um, after the, the final whistle. But um, Bayern Munich, I mean, we know the market loves Man City. We know that. They always do. But Bayern went off the biggest price to win a Champions League game for well over a decade at the Etihad. And um, it, it just felt like a bit of a... It just felt it went a bit too far and it feels the same way for me coming into the second leg too. I cannot remember the last time Bayern Munich would have been underdogs in Munich for any match against any opposition, regardless of competition. And so to see them getting a quarter goal starter at a backable price just feels attractive because I just feel like they have to show something. They have, they're have they not going to just kind of go into their shells and accept defeat here. Um, I think there will be a, a motivation to try and put something right here. Uh, if you're backing them with a quarter goal start, you don't need them to just win the game. Just avoiding defeat gets you a payout. But um, I've actually gone a bit further. I've been a bit more greedy uh, and backing by me double chance and both teams to score at 2 one five. So, you know, a 1-1, 2-1, 2-2, whatever it might be, fully expect both teams to score um, just because of the, the quality on both t- on both sides. But, um, yeah, I'm just making a, making a statement here because I, I just think Man City are too short. Um, I did it in the first leg and looked an idiot, but I'll probably do it again here and look foolish too. But, um, yeah, we, we keep saying it. Man City don't need to win this game. Um, so why would you back them at that price? I certainly wouldn't. I just think Bayern Munich will be desperate to, to show something a bit better and they're not any yeah I don't know I'm probably looking at the first leg and just just eager not to kind of be drawn in and just say Man City are three goals better than Bayern Munich because of what happened at the Etihad I don't believe that I don't believe they were three goals better than them at the Etihad either I just think Bayern contributed to their own downfall that day yeah I, mean, I can see Bayern starting well I can see them really flying at City. I think that's what they'll try to do. I think the issue they've got in terms of the tie, well, obviously the big issue is the 3-0 down, but I can't see them keeping a clean sheet. I cannot see that buying team as it is right now, with all of the gaps there are, keeping a clean sheet against City. Simple as that. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think it's. I think both things can be true in the sense I think, I think the market has overreacted to, 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 to the first leg, but... I think if, if, if just when I was thinking about how I wanted to get to get to Bayern, I, I kind of wanted to back them to kind of win of a kind of a period of a game, well, as you said, rather than kind of because even if they are say say they are in say their Bayern are two 0 up, um, and it's and, and it's and it's half an hour left, it's just so easy to see Erling Haaland scoring the counter attack, and then if Bayern have to go all out to try and kind of claw back a two goal deficit, Haaland scoring again or City scoring again, and then you're kind of you're kind of Bayern win bets are done. Um, so just that I, 
I just kind of just, just one thing on Byron as well. I think I would never thought I'd say this years ago when he was at Stoke, but Eric Maxim Chu promoting has actually been a huge player for Byron this year, yeah. and yeah. it's it's kind of it's concerning that they don't they don't have a settled kind of forward line and shape without him. I was just looking at the Bund- his the Bundesliga stats this season. When Chupa Moting's played, in f- he started 14 Bundesliga matches. Bayern averaged 2.92 goals per game. And, and in the other 14 matches that he hasn't started, Bayern only score 1.92 goals per game. So it's a whole goal that, 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 that they're losing. Again, there might be some noise in the statistics in terms of heart level of difficulty of fixtures. But I think that kind of matches the eye test, is that having the focal point of Chupa Moting. Yeah. It gives more space to kind of some of Bayern's incredibly talented kind of creative players. Well, Gnabry uh, was totally lost at the Etihad. He was supposed to be playing centre forward. Spent half the time running back to the centre circle. I thought he was bizarre. terrible. Yeah, I thought he was really bad. I think that was a game where you kind of needed that focal point. You needed him to take the fight to City centre half. He didn't do it at all. Like I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's. Given the situation, I, I wouldn't like. I don't think. I wouldn't think it's the worst idea to maybe try. Maybe try Leroy Sane at, 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 at centre forward. Again, they don't have many great options, but just I think Sane is kind of pacing behind and his kind of shooting ability. Just if you're if, like, as in again, they don't have many great options, but I prefer to see them maybe try Sane in a kind of bit of a surprise move and uh, just kind of maybe on maybe unsettle City. But yeah, kind of getting back to the bet. I, the, the, I like Bayern to be winning at half time here. Ash, it's over. It's it's kind of at around three point one five, three point two five in the exchange. I can because given the game state, we know Bayern have to start fast. And I, I, I think it's very conceivable to me that could Bayern can dominate the first half against Man City and maybe be two one up or maybe even two nil up at half time. But then before getting done on the done on the counter attack with uh, Delict and. Upamecano not a, not being able to haul down Haaland, but I just think I think the market's yeah the market is too short on City not giving Bayern enough respect. I think Bayern can at least be competitive enough to kind of give City some problems, and uh, that price at of over two to one to Bayern to winning winning at halftime makes some appeal to me. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. To the championship, Watford still on the fringes of the playoff picture. They face Cardiff this week. Stinch, how's that one going to go? Yeah, I want to oppose 21st place Cardiff, to be honest, uh, only outside the relegation zone on goal difference um, for what may be quite a radical opinion of, I just think they're not very good. Um, <laughs> you and they, your crazy theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes, I think it makes a change rather than having to, I don't know, write a scientific theory on why I want to oppose them. But no, um, they've only won four of the last 22. And two of those came against sides in the relegation zone. So not exactly a fantastic uh, record. Um, but can can we back Watford, playoff chasing Watford at 19 to 20, just short of evens, despite the fact that new manager Chris Wilder has only recorded two wins in seven? I think we can at the odds. Um, Cardiff defeats against uh, the top 12. Their last 13 games, uh, sorry, last 14 games, one, two, drawn one, lost 11. And if you look at Watford's previous home odds against similar opposition, they've all been a lot shorter. So they were 3-4 to four v Huddersfield, 8-11 to 11 v Wigan, 3-4 to four v Preston, 3-4 to four v Hull, 4-5 to five Coventry, and 5-6 to six v Swansea. So 
closer to evens against Cardiff, I think is too big. And um, if you actually look at Watford's best players and Ismail Assar and João Pedro, uh, 20 goals and 11 assists between them this season, uh, both have been out for periods this season, which I think is is the main reason why Watford are outside the playoffs rather than inside the playoffs. Uh, Ismail Assar has missed 25% of games and João Pedro 30%. And the drop-off when neither of them play is quite big. Their win percentage goes from 48% to 22%. Um, but they both uh, they both started uh, the last two games, so I'm happy that they're, they're back. And they've actually missed four of Wilder's matches, so I think that probably paints a bit of a, a picture of why Wilder's record is just two wins in seven. And yet in the reverse fixture, Ismail Osar scored the winner. So it just goes to show, you know, how crucial he is to them. So, yeah, I think Watford should be shorter, maybe sort of, yeah, shorter than four to five, I would say. So they're close to even. So I think that's a bet. Yeah, Joao Pedro, every time I've seen him, has looked so far above everybody else on the pitch. I don't do lots of championship, don't see the league a lot, but every time I've watched him, he's stood out massively. Uh, further down the EFL food chain, Mark O'Hare has a pick for us. Yeah, League Two. Um, Salford against Hartlepool, which is quite a big game for both teams opposite ends of the table. Salford are only outside the playoffs um, by the narrowest of margins. They've got the same goal difference. They've scored one goal fewer than Mansfield, who are in seventh place. Um, Hartlepool just two points from safety in the bottom two, so the market is expecting a routine home win here. Salford are very short. The Asian handicap is is set at one, which feels a little bit steep because Hartlepool have improved quite considerably since John Askey took charge in late February. Uh, on Saturday, they suffered their first defeat under him in nine, uh, two wins and six draws beforehand. They were well beaten at Newport. Um, they'd scored in all eight of their previous matches under Askey, um, but they conceded 20, over 20 shots in Wales. Um, a lot of the reason came down to injuries and unavailability at centre-half. Uh, they had to switch away from their 3-5-2, go to a four-man defence, uh, a right-back and a few key centre-halves were missing. Um, and that kind of put them out of out of sync, really. A couple of those key players are due back this midweek, so they're fully expecting to revert back to the three-man defence and therefore are expecting an improved performance again. Uh, both teams to score have been the right bet in eight of eight games under ASCII before the weekend. Um, so I'm happy to kind of go in again because the numbers are quite overwhelming really. Hartlepool, despite struggling in the relegation zone, have scored in 18 of the last 22 league games since early December, which is an excellent strike rate. Um, only two teams have a worse away record than Hartlepool this season, but they scored in 15 of 21 away games. They scored in eight of 10 trips to the top half and they scored at least twice in half of their trips to the top seven. Um, and get this, like Leighton Orient are the runaway leaders in League Two, top of the table. They've got the best away record in the division. They scored 26 goals on their travels. Hartlepool, despite having the third worst away record, have scored 24 goals on their travels. So just two goals worse than Orient on the road shows they're, they're more than capable of getting uh, into good positions and scoring and converting. Defence is obviously the issue. Six clean sheets all season, two in 21 away. Um, so naturally, they lead the way for goals per game. Both teams score over two and a half goals, all the major markets. But um, yeah, on the exchange, 1.92 for both teams to score away at Salford just feels a big price. Um, Salford, despite their lofty position, without a clean sheet in 14, just two clean sheets in 22. They've conceded in five or six when welcoming bottom eight opposition as well. So I've got full faith in Hartlepool obliging here and making this game quite competitive. And always you fancy them to concede because of those rotten defensive numbers themselves. So they're four to seven to score on the sportsbook. Yeah, 1.92 in the exchange for BTTS. It just feels like a, a big price um, for a team who are really scrapping for survival. 
Stinch, let's take it to Oxford against Portsmouth. Some classic League One action. Yeah, I think this is the worst price of the week and arguably <laughs> the worst price of the season so far. Yay! <laughs> Oxford are 23-20, to 20, so close to evens to beat Portsmouth. Oxford have failed to win their last 15 games. How can they be 23 to 20? How can they be favourites? It's just beggar's belief. They've lost. What is that the- based on? What what could that possibly be? Is that just the market moving slowly? What's. It's difficult to say, really, because we've got, you know, a massive sample of, of data. Um, Oxford have been in dire form for ages. And even in the games they're, they're losing, it's not as if they're creating tons and tons of chances. I mean, in this 15-game spell, they've scored just three goals from open play, just seven overall. Oh, my and in God. A lot, <laughs> and in a lot of those games, they aren't creating anything. Now, on Saturday, they were a little bit better, although it took them to go a goal behind before they got into any sort of rhythm. Um, they were home to uh, promotion chasing Bolton. Uh, Bolton had quite a few players missing. Um, and Oxford were priced up 13-10 to 10 in that game. But they didn't get going until Bolton took the lead. Um, in the end, this is this is a this is a bit of an anomaly because Oxford haven't been doing this. But they, in the end, they managed twenty four shots, which you'd obviously expect long term to to win football matches. But they only created one point six six expected goals. So it just goes to show how basically poor their decision making was in terms of when they shot. Now, for a little bit of a comparison to put those figures into context. Um, I actually had a feeling that uh, that a top team that you can you know base uh, winning and and long term tactics and performances you can get on board with in someone like Man City, their xG against Leicester was 1.61, so very similar, but they only had 12 shots. So that just goes to show, like the decision making when to take those shots is is how is how you should be performing in order to win matches. But as I say, that's an anomaly for Oxford. They've been they don't have a plan. We talked about them a few weeks ago when they were away at Lincoln when they lost one 0 They they don't have they don't have players that can create. It's all very pedestrian. It's all very slow. It's all very safe. And yeah, they loaned out their top goal scorer on the final day of the January window, bizarrely, to a relegation rival. So it's just all really, really bad planning. So um, yeah, I, I want to get with Portsmouth here. I mean, in those 15-game sample, Oxford have been faves in nine of those games. Uh, and they've been almost joint faves in, in two of them. So that's like 11 of those 15 games where the Max says they have a good chance of winning. But it just doesn't make sense. I mean, they were 23 to 20 v Plymouth. I mean, you know, Plymouth are chasing automatic promotion. Six to four v Barnsley. They were two to one at Wickham. They're all just sh- they're all just shocking odds. And if you'd started with 10 pounds at the beginning of this run, backing Oxford not to win and rolling it over each game, you'd have, you'd now have 27 grand. Um, so maybe maybe a good time to start now between now and the end of the season because I don't see where a win's coming from honestly. Um, there's quite there's a bit of a twist in this match because Portsmouth are now managed by the ex-assistant of Oxford's recently sacked manager, John Massinho, who they poached in January when Oxford were messing about with both their manager and the transfer market. And this is his first job in management and he's taken like 
to it like a duck like to water. Very good start. Lost just four of his 19 games in charge. And those four games were all against the top six. So my bet here, Portsmouth plus a quarter, uh, around about 1.97 on the exchange. But I couldn't put anyone off of taking Portsmouth draw no bet or even Portsmouth to win at much bigger prices. You know, Oxford are abysmal. They can't create good chances. And even if they do, they can't take them. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the halftime break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important halftime break. Or deposit limits, to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18plusbegambleaware.org. Back to the EFL in a bit, but first, some Benelux glamour. RZ against Anderlecht in the Europa Conference League. Now, Emmett, I was very angry with RZ after the first leg because they let me down. They lost 2-0 and I thought they were going to get something. They didn't. Can we trust them this time around? I think so, yeah. I kind of... um, A little bit like the kind of um, Bayern kind of V City game I was kind of talking about earlier. The angle I like is backing uh, Alkmaar to win in half time. Again, just the reasoning is because they're like firstly just in 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 the first leg, Anderlecht were quite fortunate to to win two 0 The XG was similar. Uh, Alkmaar won the kind of corner and, sh- and shot came conclusively. And like Anderlecht simply just aren't that good either. Like they're they're sitting tenth in the Belgian league, whereas Alkmaar are kind of fifth in the Eredivisie. And Alkmaar were actually very impressive in knocking out Lazio, who kind of sit second in Serie A in the last round. Um, Alkmaar are currently around kind of eight to eleven on the sportsbook to win the match, but I'd much prefer again to, to back back them to back them be winning at half time at five to four. I think just again the, the reason for that is just if you back them to win the match. And Alkmaar say one goal up with ten minutes to go. Alkmaar are going to go all out, try and try and overturn the two goal deficit, and might get done on the counter attack, and and kind of and then your win, but your win bill have lost. Whereas I think given their two goals down, we know Alkmaar are going to try and start fast, start fast, and they are by far the superior team. So I think I'm I'm kind of more confident they can be winning at half time, and you're getting kind of a boost in price to five to four rather than the eight to eight to eleven and then to win the match. Right, Alzette, we're giving you one more chance. Don't blow it this time. Right, we've saved the most glamorous until last. Of course, it is Swindon against Bradford. Mark Hughes is mighty Bradford. Stinch, how's this going to go? Yeah, I think this is a good part of the season now to start to oppose teams who are on the beach. And I'm going to put Swindon in that category. Uh, Two wins in 15 now. Um, The problems in my mind stem from the manager leaving Scott Lindsay in January. He went from Swindon in the playoffs or or, or, um, level on 7th. Um, just outside on goal difference to go to relegation threat and Crawley. And that probably tells you all you need to know. Oh, Uh, they're the mad club owned by the crypto guys, aren't they, these days? Is that still a thing? Yes. yes, I'm getting nods. Right, that's still a thing. Right, okay. Yep. And and he was really like excited, Lindsay, about like he was like, Oh, I'm so glad Swindon let me talk to Crawley and Maybe yeah, he likes all... NFTs. Well, I guess maybe finances could play a play a big part maybe. in why he was excited. Maybe. Um that's what I'm reading into it. Anyway, quiz question for you, Kev. Oh. Who who is now the manager of Swindon? Think back to the beginning of the podcast. There's a good link. Oh, back to the beginning of the podcast. Oh, it's uh, Thiggy, isn't it? Jody Morris, isn't it? 
Correct. Yes. Well done. Frank Otherwise Lampard's known as mate. Thingy. <laughs> Frank Lampard's mate, I've labelled him. Yes. Um, so, yes, uh, two wins in 14 for, for Mr. Morris. And uh, they've gone from, as I say, level on points with the last playoff place to now 14 points behind playoffs. So, very unlikely anything for Swindon this season, uh, despite the fact they did say when he took over they were looking forward to, with the aim of promotion. And, uh, yeah, Bradford, I don't think, I think you want to get them on side, really. Just two defeats in 20. Uh, they were sort of looking to consolidate playoffs, and now they're in with a chance of uh, getting all automatic promotion they're just two points behind third place Stevenage and Bradford are chalked up as five to four faves and that means basically we can back them minus a quarter on the exchange uh, just over evens around about 2.05 so essentially if they don't come away with the win we'll still get half our stake back and uh, yeah I think it's the way to go to oppose Swindon that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of great content on our website, betting.betfair.com. And we're going to have our usual weekend previews in a few days' time as well. From Stinch, from Emmett, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now.